Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Hello, and I'm going to go on a verse-by-verse discussion. I'll call your attention to the verses as we get to them, beginning with verse 18 and going through the conclusion of this 12th chapter. Before we begin, let's pause for just a word of prayer. Lord God, we are continually grateful to you for your love, for your mercy. For we have something in the depths of our heart and soul that makes us joyous, causes us to come from Sunday to Sunday and at other times together as your children to worship, causes us to pause in the midst of our daily activities to pray to you, not just asking you for things that we might want, but glorifying your name and beseeching that you would intervene in our lives and the lives of our loved ones and our families. You would, Lord, deal with those for whom we pray who do not know you, who have never said yes to the Lord Jesus. That you would bless in the lives of those who are so ill today, in the hospital and at home, For those who have problems in their family, for those whose mothers and fathers do not get along with children, children who have difficulty with parents, laborers who have difficulty with employers, and for a friend who has problem with friends. And Lord, even in our midst, those of us who have problems with each other. Help us to understand what is your will in all of our lives. Lord, use this message this morning and the scripture that we shall read to speak to each of us. Very pointedly. May we all be conscious, be conscious of what you're saying to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The title, as you see it in the bulletin this morning, is Mount Sinai-Mount Zion. And we're going to talk about two mountains. Before I get into the scripture, let me set the scene. I want you to go back in your memory to the Old Testament when the Hebrew people were in Egypt. They spent 400 years there in captivity. And they finally began to pray that God would deliver them from this captivity. God heard their prayer, sent Moses to lead them out. Seventy people went down to Egypt. Three million are coming out now. Three million. 400 years, they multiplied from 70 to 3 million. 
across the Red Sea, an insurmountable object was in their way. But God divided the waters and they went across that Red Sea on dry land, the scripture says. Not in mud, but on dry land. And when the Egyptian army came behind them, the waters came in and drowned the army. Now they're out in the Arabian desert endeavoring and attempting to reach the promised land which is only just a few weeks away by foot. But they spent 40 years in all of this wandering and meandering around in this desert area before they finally were able to enter into the promised land. Out there in the middle of that desert there's a mountain called Mount Sinai. And on this particular occasion that I want you to, to get in your mind so that we can understand the scripture, God said to Moses, I want you to gather this huge crowd of people, three million, around the foot of the mountain. Mountains in Israel are a little more distinct than ours. They didn't have the foothills, they were just a mountain. And you went up into a mountain. We probably would call it a hill, just a high hill. Not much higher probably in some of some of ours here in Boone County. But they were together around the foot of the mountain. And God instructed them that they positively, under the penalty of death, no man, child, or animal was to touch that mountain. God called Moses up into the mountain where he was going to give him the Ten Commandments. He said, gather the people around the foot of that mountain. God sent Moses back down off the mountain and warned the people the second time to be absolutely sure that they understood. Do not touch that mountain under penalty of death. Then Moses goes back up again. The people are gathered around. There is a line laid. Do not cross that line because crossing that line is going to be death to you. Verse 18 now, here in our scripture. I'm going to come back to the first phrase a little bit later, but we'll have to read it. For we are, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched but burned with fire, nor with blackness and darkness and tempest. Now look at the mountain. That might be touched, for those of you who are Bible students and want to understand it, he is saying we have not come to a mountain that might accidentally be touched or unpurposely be touched. Here the people were, they were come to the mountain that there was the possibility that somebody is going to err and touch the mountain. And that mountain is burning with fire, it is covered with blackness, there is darkness, there is a storm upon it, that's what the word tempest means. Blackness means gloom. And so we have a fire on the mountain, a mountain full of gloom, a mountain full of darkness, and a mountain covered with storm. And God is on the mountain. 
God said, don't you dare touch this mountain. Let me tell you, if I were one of those three million people there, I would absolutely be sure that my kids and my animals didn't get near that line. These people were scared. And they had a right to be. I make that point to say there are times that we need to be afraid of God. Just like these people need to be and needed to be afraid of God. And God was intending on implanting this attitude of fear in them. So that when their children grew up, it would still be well implanted on their mind and in their heart. We all can go back in our youth and come to a point in time that is very vivid and very real to us today, though that's been 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Can you not? Something was so well imprinted on your mind that you have not forgotten it to this day. This experience God intended to be imprinted upon the minds of those people so that they would never forget. I'm going back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read just a few verses of this experience that these people had. Verse 9 of chapter 4, the fifth book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, chapter 4, beginning at verse 9, instruction to the Hebrew people, when he says, only take heed to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen unless they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life, but teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons. Now, let's stop there for a moment. God is saying there are some things that we need to teach very diligently to our people so that nobody forgets. How well are we teaching our kids, our family, our church family, our society, the need to pay attention when God speaks. He goes on in verse 10. Remember these things, he says, but especially the day when thou stoodest before the Lord thy God in Horeb, when the Lord said unto me, Gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me, all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. And ye came near and stood under the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire unto the midst of heaven, and darkness and clouds and thick darkness. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude. That is, you didn't see anybody. You just heard what the Lord said. 
And he declared unto you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, even ten commandments which he wrote them upon two tablets of stone. You think you would forget that experience? Had you been standing at the foot of Mount Sinai and it was covered with blackness and there was a tremendous storm upon it and then suddenly out of that mountain comes the voice of God. And the voice of God said some things. He gave the Ten Commandments and I'm going to read them here in a few moments. I think I would remember and I think I would remember that it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, as the scripture says, or a living God, I should say, in Hebrews 10.31. What I'm saying to you is, God was intending throughout the Old Testament to depict himself as a God that is feared if you don't pay attention to what he has to say. But we've come to a point in time in our society when people laugh at God and scoff at Him. When people ignore Him. And think, oh, He's a God of love. He certainly won't do any of those things that you're talking about. But that's not the way the Lord pictures Himself. He was so exact in His argument that He said, don't you even touch this mountain or you're going to die. Verse 19 of Hebrews chapter 12 then. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard, they heard a voice, but they didn't see anybody. And what did they do? They entreated that the word should not be spoken unto them anymore. Listen. They were saying, God, don't say it anymore. I don't want to hear it. They could not stand it to hear what God was saying. Now, what did God say? Let me read it to you. Let me use the mic to do it for emphasis. I want you to imagine that you're standing at the foot of the mountain and God is speaking and I'm going to use this to sort of give that image of a voice coming down off the mountain and God says I am the Lord thy God thou shalt have none other gods before me thou shalt not make thee any graven image Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Keep the Sabbath day to sanctify it. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Neither shalt thou commit adultery. Neither shalt thou steal. 
Neither shalt thou bear false witness against thy neighbor. Neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife. Neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house, his field, or his manservant, or his maidservant, his ox, or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. Stop, Lord. I don't want to hear it. Why? Why do we not want to hear? Why did they not want to hear? Verse 20 tells us, For they could not endure that which was commanded. They were staggering under the weight of that tremendous list of commandments. And they were so fearful that one of them was going to do wrong and touch that mountain that the weight was tremendously upon them to the point that in verse 20, uh, uh, 21 rather, that even Moses was fearful and was shaking. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. All right, we have here pictured an episode at the foot of Mount Sinai in which God pictures himself as a God to be afraid of. There's only one of two ways to look at God. That is, you look at him as one who loves you and you love him or one you'd better be afraid of. We begin in verse 22 to talk about another mountain. It's called Mount Zion. It's S-I-O-N there in the King James. It's the same word as Z-I-O-N that we normally find in other places. Uh, in other parts of the scripture we find it Zion and that's the way it should be pronounced. Now then, go back to verse 18 for a moment and then tie it into verse 22. Ye are not come unto the mount that cannot, or rather that might be touched. Ye are not come into unto Mount Sinai. Ye are not come to Mount Sinai, which is a description of a mountain where God is that pictures him as a God of punishment. He says in verse 22, but ye are come unto Mount Zion. I want you to get the picture. You're going to go to one of those two mountains. And I'm going to go to one of those two. I'm going to see God and you're going to see God as a God of judgment or you're going to see God as we are now depict him in Mount Zion. Which is a little different. Yes. For we are changing from the Old Testament concept 
of a God to be feared, to see God as one who is a God of love because we see it exemplified in Jesus who was sent into this world to love us and to save us. But people mock, people blaspheme, people laugh at God, people distort the name of Jesus, people abuse the scriptures, people do everything that says in their mind God is a laughable stock. And to be paid no attention to. So we have the movie. That depicts Jesus as. Less than the savior. We have the cartoons. That make the church something to. Be amused at. We have people who laugh at God because they see us and we don't, we don't depict God very well. And this God is a God of judgment and a God of punishment. But he said, you're not come to Mount Sinai, you're come to Mount Zion. Matthew 10.28, Jesus speaking says, Fear not him that destroys the body, but has nothing more that he can do. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Who is that? Who's got that capability? Other than God himself. That's Mount Sinai. Look at Mount Zion. In Jerusalem, there are three mountains of importance. One of them is called Mount Moriah. It was upon this mountain before there was a city called Jerusalem that Abraham took his son Isaac for the sacrifice that we know about. There's another one called Mount Calvary or Golgotha in the Hebrew. Upon this mountain it was where Jesus was crucified. But there's another mountain in in the city of Jerusalem called Mount Zion, and it's the highest of all three, and it represents the presence of God. And so the Hebrews writer here is saying, we have come to a mountain that is different from the one that was described in the Old Testament. Sinai means forbidden, unapproachable. Zion means God is approachable. God bids you come. And so we change from the Old Testament, do not touch the hem of the mountain, to the phrase in the New Testament says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We are bidden to come to the mountain where God is in the New Testament. And find there a God of love. Sinai means darkness or fear. Zion means a city of light, that which is inviting. It means peace. Sinai means death. Zion means life. What I'm saying to you is you're going to come to one of the two mountains representing God. To the mountain that represents death or the mountain that represents life. Now he describes in verses 22 and following what this city, uh, this mountain rather is like. And he says this mountain called Zion 
is the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. He's describing heaven here where God is. Now look in verse 23 and see who's there. Who is in this mountain, in this city of the living God? The general assembly and the church of the firstborn. Oh, I thought that said the church of Christ. No, it doesn't. It says the church of the firstborn. Doesn't say Baptist either. And I don't see the word Methodist written there. Nor Catholic. Nor any other phrase that we might use because you see we have man has put the title outside the door we call ourselves Baptist which is fine somebody else calls himself something else it's not these churches that are represented but it's the people who are a part of the body of Christ it's the church of Jesus and the names of the people who are in that church are written in heaven, he says. And so when you come to Mount Zion, which is spiritually talking about heaven, you're finding here some things. Number one, in the ending of verse 22, there's a whole big company of angels. Secondly, there is an assembly of the church. Thirdly, there is God who is the judge of all. Fourthly, there are the spirits of just men, that is, the men of the Old Testament, who the, the patriarchs of the Old Testament, and then beginning in verse 24, and Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And then, he says, we're going to find there the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Go back to Abel a moment. You remember Cain and Abel were the first two children of Adam and Eve. And Abel brought his sacrifice, and Cain brought his. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. And the scripture says, because he brought a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This passage of scripture says, we're going to find there a sacrifice even more excellent than, than Abel's sacrifice. And who brought that sacrifice but Jesus Christ? When we come to Mount Zion, we're going to find those things that are in heaven. And then he gives a warning in verse 25 that I think all of us need to pay attention to when he says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. Who's he talking about? But God himself. See to it that you do not refuse God. And that's what people are doing. More people are refusing the one who speaks, that is God, than are accepting what he says. And those who refuse to receive the one who speaks will have to go not to Mount Zion, but back to Mount Sinai. And there see nothing but the God of righteousness who is going to punish those who will not listen to him or who disobeys.
Now let me quickly summarize, conclude, beginning on verse 27. Well, let me, let me read verse 26. He's referring here now, see to it that you do not refuse the one who speaks, and then verse 26, whose voice then shook the earth. When God spoke out of Mount Zion, or Sinai, out of Mount Sinai, the whole earth shook. And the people said, don't talk anymore. We can't toler, we can't stand it. The whole earth shook. But then in verse, uh, concluding in verse 26, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. Listen, there is a time coming when God speaks. It's not only going to be the earth is going to shake, all of heaven is going to shake. When God speaks, people are going to listen. They're going to listen. Verse 27, and this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken. You have taken something that you want to sort out. A little wire basket, perhaps, where you want to sort out chaff and seed or something. And you shake that thing, and all the chaff falls through, and only the good seed is left behind. God's going to shake this world in the end of time. And all of those people who are nothing but chaff and have wasted their lives are going to fall through the sieve into the depths of hell so that only the righteous are left. He is going to shake. Listen, when God shakes, you better have a good foundation. Jesus gave us the parable of the people who built houses and some built them on the sand, and when the storm came and things began to shake, that house fell. That's a description of people's lives who have not founded themselves on a solid foundation. When thing, and I see this all the time, and you do too. You take a person who doesn't have a solid foundation, and rough times come, let me tell you, they, are just, they just fall apart. Now, that's not saying that when we who are Christian are shaken that we don't have difficulties, but I tell you something, we're not going to fall to pieces. Why? Because we've got a foundation under our life. If you've got a foundation under your life, you can stand the shaking. And God sometimes is going to shake us up a little bit to see how well our foundation's holding. He's going to put the test on us and he's going to shake this old world and he's going to shake us sometimes till our teeth rattle because he wants to find out whether we're going to be able to take it. And all these little old trials and problems that come along and we begin to fuss and cry and moan and complain, God is shaking us to see if we've got a foundation. Now if you want to be shaken and discover that you fell through the, uh, the screen... That means you didn't have anything. Because you failed the test of the shaking. He's going to shake out that which is no good. It'll fall into hell. He's going to shake out that which has a foundation, which has some substance to it. And those will be saved. What mountain are you at the foot of this morning? These Hebrew people didn't escape the shaking, but they were obedient unto God's word. God is two different personalities in this terminology that I'm talking about. To some people, he's going to be seen only as a God of judgment. 
That's all. Because when he shook the sieve, he fell through. To some of us, he's going to be seen as a God of love. Who even though the sieve has, uh, has been shaken, we survive because there was some substance to us. And that substance was because we had put our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's called Mount Zion. That's the foot of the mountain where you would be if you can stand the shaking. If you can't stand the shaking, you're at the foot of Mount Sinai. That'll be a day of judgment. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at James sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.